I'm David Marcus, host of Drinks with the Deal. And today our guest is Chris McCara, the co-head of private equity at Wild Gottschall in New York. Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. It's great to be here with you, David. We're going to talk about several things on today's podcast. First, a little bit about your background and how you came to practice law, what you learned from early jobs, bartending and being a paralegal, your transition to an in-house role at Goldman and then back to Weill, how you maintained your relationships with people at Weill while you were at Goldman and how you developed relationships with people at Goldman for whom you now do work. And then finally, a little bit about what you do to decompress from the job. So with that, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to become a lawyer. Yeah, 100%. So I grew up in the New York City area, outside the city, primarily in Connecticut. As you alluded to, I have always been a worker. So got my first job when I was 13. You referred to my experience in the restaurant industry. I started bussing tables when I was 14 and worked my way up to bartending. And I did that a lot during college and during the summers. And when my friends were out with their internships at Bear Stearns and fancy investment banks, I was just sitting there bartending and not thinking about the future like I should have. But what did you take from those experiences, you know, in your teens and early 20s? Yeah, yeah, it sounds crazy. And I think increasingly it sounds unusual to people where you have at this point, I have kids in high school and they're looking at internships during their summers. And when I look back on it, though, and I tell people today that working in the restaurant industry, whether it's busing tables, waiting tables, bartending like I did, it is as good a training as you'll get for this job. It's the focus on client service. It's dealing with stressful situations. It's multitasking. Frankly, it's working late. The shift can be late and you're working on very little sleep. So it sounds funny to people. But when I look back and think about the lawyer in my day-to-day job, yeah, frankly, it's the, you know, the client service aspect of it is a huge part of it. I think it was as good a training as I could have gotten being at Bear Stearns, for example. What was the most stressful situation or a stressful situation you remember from your time tending bar or working in restaurants? Yeah. The biggest thing was I was never trained properly. So I was just buddies with the manager at this restaurant that I had started at when I was a sophomore in high school. And the bartender quit and I was 17, 18 years old. I mean, I think I shouldn't technically have been bartending at the time, but I didn't go through the school. I didn't learn the drinks. I remember the first drink that I served that was not a beer was a guy who came in and ordered a martini. And I started putting sweet vermouth in the mixer. And he said, usually he takes his martinis with dry vermouth. But that was a stressful thing. And and obviously, at this point in my career, I'm not dealing with it as often. But it's that sense of going into something where you don't know what the rules are. It's a new situation and being thrown into the fire. I mean, that was, and but then how quickly you can learn on the fly. That was really valuable. Again, probably more. When I was a junior associate and you're thrown into the fire at this point, 
as a more senior lawyer, you're thrown into the fire less often. But that's definitely a lesson that I took from that. And it was, it was stressful. And then how did you decide to go to law school? Yeah. So when I was in college, I was an English major. My first love really is writing. And I had an idea that was not really well thought out that I was going to write for a magazine, you know, maybe write for Rolling Stone. This was before Almost Famous came out, by the way, in the late 90s. So I, I just had this vague sense that I would write. Maybe it would be the next great American novel. And I think somewhere around senior year in college, I realized that was not a viable career path for me. Although, David, I guess you've been successful. Uh, I could have taken a lesson from you. But I had an uncle who was a partner at one of the big law firms in the city. And I was talking to him. And obviously, it's kind of a, a natural. If you're, I was at a liberal arts college as an English major, there's only so many things you can do with that if you're not going to write for Rolling Stone. And so being a lawyer was kind of among the range of things I was considering. He said, listen, the one piece of advice, and it was great advice, was don't go straight to law school. If you're interested in the law and particularly interested in you know, working at a big law firm in the city, go be a paralegal at one of these places. See if you like it. Because what he had seen over the years was a lot of people who go straight from college to law school to a big firm. They never really have a chance to experience what it's like. And you have a lot of unhappy first and second year associates who felt kind of forced into it. So that's what I did. And I was a paralegal at another big law firm in the city, not Wild Gotchel. And I remember I started, there was 18 or 19 of us, and we were all very excited to go to law school. We talked about it and what school are we going to apply to. And of those 19, two of us ended up going to law school. And just based on the experiences that people had as a paralegal at this law firm, which by the way, is a great law firm, but there was a lot of people and some of them were very successful. I mean, there's some of them who are at investment banks and who have done great things, but they were not made to be lawyers. So what did you enjoy about that environment that clearly many of your peers ran shrieking in horror from? Well, maybe not all of them ran shrieking in horror, but probably some of them really did. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. There was a couple things on two sides of the spectrum. The first was I really loved the camaraderie. So I was a litigation paralegal. I worked on some really interesting cases, including the September 11th litigation. If you remember, there was that insurance case as to whether or not it was one incident or two incidents. And it was a $3.1 billion difference between those two things. And I worked with a team of, I think it must have been six or seven other paralegals with a bunch of associates and even the partners we were in touch with. I remember I actually got to join the partners for a meeting. And it was right after... It was probably in October, November of 2001, when they were just spitballing about the case and being in that room and hearing them talk about the different theories and how the case might play out. And then again, like back then, of course, there was no such thing as remote work. So it was a lot of late nights in, in the paralegal case room, surrounded, by the way, by like 300 boxes of materials. And I'm making it sound romantic now. I mean, I'm sure I wasn't always super excited to be there, but it really was a lot of great people and incredible characters also who I worked with. There was a senior paralegal, I remember, 
who had an idea that he was trying to pass the bar exam without having gone to law school. I don't think he ever did it, but he was the best. We took a trip down to Alabama for a trial separately, which was for a different podcast. But yeah, so just that comrade, which is what I love about the job today. I mean, that's what I think people probably don't understand about law firm life is just how important that camaraderie is and, and that sense of being on a team that you have, which we lost a little bit of that during COVID, obviously, and we're trying hard to rebuild that here. And I know every other law firm is trying to do that as well. Now, on the flip side, on the other end of the spectrum, like I said, so that was very pleasant. I, I said, geez, I, I want to be a part of a place like this. Being a litigation paralegal, it was just, I would drop those boxes off on a Friday afternoon to the first year associate who was going to have to review them through the weekend. And I thought, this does not seem like something I would want to do. These people don't seem like very happy people. So I just made a snap decision that I did want to go to a law firm, but I didn't want to go into litigation. In retrospect, that was my, you know, a judgment based on what I saw of being a litigator through the prism of being a paralegal was comically uninformed. And I think I actually would have liked being a litigator, but that made me think I don't want to be a litigator. So that's how I decided I wanted to be a corporate lawyer. And so how did you come to focus on private equity? So when I was in law school, at that point, I had a sense that I wanted to be a corporate lawyer. Hedge funds were very big back then because it was the early 2000s. And I had a lot of friends who had gone to hedge funds. Private equity funds were not as big. But I did have a sense that I wanted to do something in the financial industry, something deal-related. and. The guy who recruited me from Weill was the co-head of the private equity group at that point. And we got along really well. And he introduced me to other people from my law school, which was Duke. Up at Weill, Weill has always had a really strong relationship with Duke. And he didn't really give me a choice. He said, you should come to Weill. You should join the private equity group. During the summer, I got primarily private equity assignments. I said, well, I don't really know what private equity is, but it sounds interesting and I like these people. And I started in 2005. One thing that makes Weill unique is that we have a dedicated private equity group and we always have. So I started in 2005 in the private equity group and I have just been doing private equity since then. So almost 20 years, which is a little scary. So it recalls the great story in Liar's Poker where the senior managing director says that choosing the right rabbi is more important than choosing, in that context, whatever trading desk Mm -hmm. you may find yourself on. Yeah, good friends, right? That was, yeah, and that was, that was particularly true. Actually, ironically, the person who recruited me and he retired a few years later, but right away I made, Friends and Tad was lucky enough to have a number of mentors, including people who are still here today a while and are still my mentors. So one of them is Doug Warner, who's the global head of private equity. And I've been doing deals with Doug again now for 20 years. The way while was set up then is it was there was deal execution, but there was also fund formation in the same group. So Jonathan Solar, who's the head of our funds practice now was also a mentor. I would say these days, I would, Jonathan, if he's listening, would agree. He's probably more of a good friend than a mentor, but I do look to him for advice. 
and others, others at Weil also, and, and Barry Wolf and Mike Aiello. And so a lot of these people, I got lucky enough to form relationships as an associate, and I just maintain those relationships. So talk about your decision to go to an in-house role at Goldman and what you thought you might do from there. Right. So when I went to Weil, as I described a few minutes ago, I really was not expecting that I was going to stay at Weil for the long term. Me and my friends from law school, we looked at these firms and we said, listen, you go to a law firm for a couple of years, you go in-house, that's the ultimate goal. Because who would want to stay at a law firm? And God forbid, who would want to be a partner at a law firm? They look awfully unhappy. And so when I got to Weil, even though I was having a very good experience, I always had in the back of my mind that I would go in-house. And when I was speaking of maintaining relationships with people, when I was a sixth-year associate, one of my other friends and friend, frankly, mentors as a junior associate who had joined Goldman Sachs reached out to me and asked if I wanted to come to Goldman Sachs. And I said, well, pretty happy. So thanks for calling. No, but you know, I'm good here. And then she called back again with her boss, which speaking of maintaining connections, I'm actually seeing him this afternoon. And so they called me together and said, are you sure? And I thought about it and I thought, well, I always was thinking I would go in-house and Goldman Sachs is an incredible place. And I did have in mind that I could always come back to a law firm, if not Wild Gotchel, somewhere like Wild Gotchel. And so I pulled the trigger. And when I did that, just to demonstrate that I knew that I might be back at some point, you have those closing sets. People don't really use them these days, but I had dozens of these leather-bound closing sets. And Usually when associates leave a law firm, they take those closing sets and they like set them on fire and throw them in the garbage. And I took those closing sets and I had my assistant send them to our records department in Brooklyn. And I thought, just in case I ever come back here, let me keep these closing sets. And when I ended up coming back, I called up the Brooklyn records department. I said, just out of curiosity, do you have my closing sets? And they said, yeah, we have like eight boxes. So in my office now, I have all those closing sets, which was pretty cool. So talk about how what you did at Goldman was different from what you did at Weill before you went to Goldman, and then different from what you ended up doing after you returned to Weill. So the thing that was attractive about the Goldman job to me was it was working really closely with their private equity group. And the value that I brought was I was just a competent senior associate who knew how to read deal documents and had the time, especially early on, to do that. And so the deal teams, I got along really well with them because it was like having a second external counsel internally. And I think these days, there's a lot of firms, sponsors that have that model. But back then, it was not really how things were done. And it was important. I mean, I remember when I left while. One of my friends who's still here, actually, she said, am I going away drinks? She said, you know, her husband was in-house. And she said, the thing about going in-house is you become a cost center. And here, you're kind of you're the, in the middle of things and you're producing revenue. But when you're in-house, you're a cost center. And I remember thinking to myself, that's not a super cool thing for her to say. <laughs> and then the day after I got there, I was like, you know what? She was right that you do have to justify your value. 
And so that was how I justified my value was just by reading stuff closely and giving my perspective. And over now, what happened though is after you're there for a few years and you're getting more senior, they don't really need senior in house lawyers to be reading deal documents and giving their perspective on limited guarantees and equity commitment letters. And it becomes more regulatory focused and you're doing more general counsel-y type things, which was less appealing to me. And so talk about your decision to return to Wild, because it, it sounds like you really enjoyed doing deals and that kind of practice as opposed to the management function that a GC fulfills. Yeah. So at the time, I had been there for a few years. It was kind of the end of 2015, early 2016. It was not as common then as it is today for people to make that move from in-house back to law firms. But at Goldman Sachs, I had a couple of friends actually who had made that move recently at that time. And it seemed like they were having some success. So I did have that in mind. And if I'm being totally honest with you, David, I don't know if this is the best part of me, but I really wanted to be in the middle of everything. And ego almost takes over at a certain point. So I looked around and I looked at these other partners at law firms and I said, I could do what that guy's doing. And if I go and, and I, you know, it just happened to work out this way, but I'd made all these incredible relationships at Goldman that happened very organically. And I said, you know, by the way, I think I can do that. And if I go to a law firm, I bet these people will call me. And so that would be nice also. There's a much longer version of this story, which I'll spare you from. But the short version is, I actually went to another law firm very quickly. At the time, Wild Gotchel had a need for private equity lawyers. I'd actually stayed in touch with a bunch of my friends from Wild, and including Doug, including Mike Aiello, who was doing work for Goldman at the time. So I stayed in touch with him and Doug, and I was going to get drinks with Doug just in the ordinary course. And he said, listen, you went to this other law firm. That was stupid. You should have come back to Wild. We have a need for Wild Gotchel. Private equity has a need for partners, and you should come back to Wild. And again, you know, at first I said, well, geez, that's interesting, but it's, you know, I just got to this other firm. But then I thought about it and I said, yeah, going back to Wild, going back to that platform, given all the relationships that I have there, not just with the partners, by the way, but also a bunch of my friends who are associates were still there. And again, leveraging my relationships that I had made just doing my job at Goldman, which wasn't just the people who were at Goldman, but I'd met a lot of other in-house counsel where Goldman would work alongside people, etc. And then I had maintained relationships with clients from my Weill associate days. So I went back to Weill and it was the best decision I ever made. And honestly, I just got very lucky from there. Talk about the process of building and maintaining relationships in-house and kind of transferring those when you move back to a law firm, which is something we've heard about from several guests on the podcast over the last year. So to me, the main thing is it has to be organic and it has to be authentic. And all relationships are the same whether it's a junior associate who is never ever going to give you work 
or a client who just moved to a fancy new private equity funds. To me, that's the secret to it. You can't do things in an unnatural way. It's just some people, and I've done a good job of maintaining relationships, but I maintain relationships with people who I like. That's the thing that's like the miracle of my practice is that my clients, by and large, they're my friends. I mean, they're people who I would want to hang out with. If I have a client dinner, excited to go to dinner to catch up with the people because they're my friends. And so some people I meet, I mean, I try to be a nice person. I try to get along with people, but some people I don't really like. And so, and so, you know, I don't maintain those relationships, but that's to me, that's the key. And then finally, talk a little bit about what you do to decompress from the job. So, so I'm pretty busy with my day job. So I wish I could report that I had all kinds of interesting hobbies, like I was scuba diving and things like that. But I keep it pretty simple. To me, the most important thing outside of work is my family and spending time with them. And my wife and I have have always had a thing that we really enjoy eating out. And so restaurants is a huge thing for me, both in the city and back where I live in North Jersey. And my observation, by the way, is in North Jersey, I'm like a celebrity because, you know, you're talking about Ridgewood, New Jersey, the steakhouse there. You can roll in and like take the place over here. I'm just a small fish. So, you know, if I go to the fancy restaurants in the city, I don't get the same treatment, but that's huge for me and with my family and with my friends. And my wife and I are blessed to have three healthy, awesome children who enjoy going to restaurants now also. They're 11, 14, and 16. They've gone to more good restaurants at this point than I had until I was like 35 years old. So that's what we prioritize. And once I had the extra money to spend it on anything, that's what we do. So where do you most enjoy eating both in Manhattan and North Jersey? All right. So David, if I had to give a plug, I would say the restaurant that I'm going to tonight, which is Marea, is probably my favorite place in the city. It's centrally located to Wiles offices and the people there are the best. And it's always an experience. Doug, amongst many other great ideas that he's come up with, has been holding a Marea wine dinner in their basement for like 15 years. And then just kind of going there casually is great. And then in North Jersey, very happy to give a plug to Roots Steakhouse, which is our favorite place. I would say my wife and I with our family, friends, we go there probably every other week. And we actually took the whole wild private equity group in New York out and took every... It was like 80 people and filled Roots for our holiday dinner, which was awesome. So those are my happy places. Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. This was great, David. It was a pleasure. For Drinks with a Deal, I'm David Marcus.